Hello, friends. I'm Daniel Day, your host. And right now, I get the distinct honor of getting to interview uh, the doubter himself. <laughs> His name is Preston Ulmer, and he is the founder of the Doubters Club. And he's also involved in the leadership of Church Multiplication Network. And Preston, it's a great honor to have you on the program. Man, it's an honor to be here. I've been looking forward to this. I have to be honest. Every time I think about you, um, I think about that scene on uh, the Polar Express where they're going oh. through the scary, uh, the scary train, and the, the the scary puppet falls down and says, "You're a doubter." <laughs> oh goodness! That needs Uh-oh. to be on a commercial somewhere for the Doubters Club. Oh, I don't know what that means, but hey, for what it's worth, <laughs> for what it's worth, my middle name is Thomas. So when people say they kind of describe me as the doubter, I'm going, come on, the name's already taken. It's not, it's not super flattering, but I'm used to it. <laughs> You're a doubter. Anyway, um, I want you to just take a minute before we get into, you know, what is the Doubters Club and, and yeah. the book that's coming out soon. I'm so excited about the book. Um, could you just better introduce yourself to our listeners for a moment? Sure, Daniel. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, like I said, I, I really have been looking forward to this. Uh, so my name is Preston, and yes, I I still consider myself a doubter. Uh, hopefully by the end of this um, interview, that'll be a positive thing, not such a negative thing in people's mind. So don't turn it off just yet. But, um, I, you know, honestly, I experienced a major crisis of faith that I would actually say, to some degree, I left the faith in Bible school. Wow. So I won't tell you what Bible school, because it's not their fault. Um, it was just, uh, I... I had so many questions and Daniel, those questions were answered in probably the worst way possible where people, I was told things like, why don't you sleep on the word of God to get the Bible in your head? So literally, I don't know if it's cause I used NIV and not ESV or whatever, but it, I slept on the Bible because when you're desperate, you try lots of things Wow. and uh, uh, didn't work. I played more worship music cause that's what I was told to do. It didn't work. So I got some really bad advice. Uh, Someone asked me, can I help you with your questions? And then they said this, I don't care where you land as long as you're honest. As actually a professor of philosophy and for eight months, they helped me wrestle through the faith and they were committed to me regardless if I ever joined the kingdom of God or not. And, And that was for real. So I think experiencing that was really helpful. And I, I learned a lot of things about my faith and what it means to experience life with Jesus and what it doesn't mean to experience life with Jesus that I feel comfortable saying, Hey, I, I have at this point in my life more questions than I do answers, but I feel closer to God than I ever have before. And um, so, yeah, that that's in a nutshell, kind of what, you know, led to starting the doubters club, which of course we never go through life's experiences thinking this will lead to a movement. <laughs> right. uh, we go through them thinking, why am I going through this? Um, but I think it's that experience uh, that was really pivotal for me. That's awesome. I want you to open us up in a word of prayer. And okay. uh, if you could, please just pray specifically for leaders who they may have a, a young man or woman in their ministry right now going through a similar crisis. Um, and maybe you could pray for both. You could pray for the leader that they would have the patience to understand that God's big enough to answer those questions. If you're patient enough to work with people and pray for the doubter 
that their doubt would drive them to investigate this great God and he will reveal himself. So could you pray for that? Yeah, you bet. I'd be happy to. Father, I'm so grateful uh, for everyone who's listening to this at whatever point in time and wherever they're at. And we do pray for this. We pray that those who are leading faith communities, those who are leading churches, those who are leading families, moms and dads, grandmas, aunts and uncles, God, as they interact with generations that are more inquisitive than they've been, I pray for not just the patience, but a curiosity. I think a curiosity that can really only come from a humility of not knowing everything there is to know about you. So God, help those leaders to stay curious. Help them, help them to stay uh, committed. May their love be steadfast. May it be long-suffering. May it be all the things that you are with us. And we pray for the doubter. We pray for the skeptic. We pray for the person that is um, struggling with disappointment, uh, maybe feelings of betrayal in the faith. Um, and I just ask right now that, Jesus, you'd show them what you've shown me. Life with you is different than what we can just know. And I pray that they would actually experience what it is to have life with you. And God, help us in this interview just to have a great time and to be able to look back on the great things that you've done and to anticipate the great things you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Preston, tell us about the Doubters Club. How did it get started? Yeah, so we, we moved to Denver, Colorado um, a few years ago to start a church. And Daniel, I walked into a coffee shop. I mean, this is like a spiritual suicide question, Okay because Denver uh, is not a very Christian city at all. It's post-post-Christian, so they're like, they don't care. <laughs> they're not even mad. They just don't care at this point. And I walk in a coffee shop, and I ask the coffee shop owner, I said, hey, what kind of church do you go to? <laughs> to which he just, he laughed, and he goes, uh, I don't go to church. I'm an atheist. And I said, oh, I said, that used to be my tribe. I understand. I said, but if you did go to church, what kind of church would you go to? And he laughed again and he goes, I don't go to church. You don't understand. To which I just said, man, just like, I'll buy more coffee if you tell me what kind of church you would come. So he said, here's the thing. I would go to a church that allowed me to ask questions and that didn't judge me for thinking differently. Those were the two qualifications for him. So I was actually trying to find the neighborhood that we we're going to plant a church in. So I'm walking out of the coffee shop. He said, what's your name? I said, Preston. He goes, Preston, are you going to start a church in this neighborhood? To which I said, I don't know. And he said, if it's that kind of church, I think you should. So uh, I don't know how God speaks to you, but an atheist coffee shop owner that invites us into the community, we knew that was going to be the community that we wanted to start a faith community in. And uh, you fast forward a few months, uh, I went to him and said, what if we started something called the Doubters Club that did what you just mentioned before, where you an atheist and me a Christian and, and this has always, Daniel, been the, the vision behind it, model friendship and pursue truth together. So I told him, if I'm wrong, um, I would want to know. And he said, would you like leave? Would you leave the Christian faith if you're wrong? I said, if I'm wrong, yes. Because I want my life to be oriented around what's true. And then I said, would you do the same thing? Would you, would you be willing to say, if you're wrong, you'd pursue a tree. He said, yes. Yeah. So we invited a group of people, his friends and my friends, and his friends, you know, atheist, agnostic, um, Buddhist, my friends, mainly Christian. And we just had this meeting 
We had five ground rules. We still have these ground rules to this day. Things like we value respect above being right. We listen without interrupting. We are a safe place. So we go five of them. And then uh, we model friendship. So Daniel, to where I'll say, hey, what the group voted on the time before, tell me your thoughts on that. And we're not arguing. We're not debating. We're friends. So we're modeling friendship. I say, can I ask you a few questions about it? And then I, I share my perspective. He asked me a few questions about it. We're laughing together, having coffee together. We bought everybody's drinks that's in this circle. And then we asked the group, what do you think about it? With, with, with how you see the world? And how, how do you wrestle with that question? And then they participate. And then it's the Christian co-moderator's job to weave the gospel through there to show how, you know, we say a lot, Jesus is the answer. But to actually show, is there an answer to be found in the Christian worldview to that question? And is it the truth? And, and then at the end, we say, what do you guys want to talk about next time? And I, I grab a notepad like this, and I just write it down, and we give everyone two votes. Okay, so you can put forward whatever topic you want, but we say you can vote twice. Well, here's why we do that. It's because we want, if you brought someone who doesn't think like you, we want you to vote for what they voted for too. But it allows you to be authentic to what you want to vote to as well. So we go, you can vote twice. Um, or you can double down for one. You can raise both hands like this. And then I always say, and if you're an atheist, you're going like this. I know you're not praising God. You don't got to worry. Uh, <laughs> you're just voting twice for one topic. Yeah. And yeah. then after that, we dismiss the meeting. with. But we always say this, Daniel. We always say, hey, listen, we know we have these meetings once a month. It's intentional because we want you to create the Doubters Club as a lifestyle. We want you to feel the tension of if you have to wait four weeks to get to know the person that you were having a great discussion with, you don't have to wait four weeks, invite them over those sorts of things. And because of that, we've noticed, man, there's a lot of movement that happens in these friendships and life transformation happens in those one-on-ones and those at home hangouts, those sort of things. And then when they get together, it's like friends seeing each other again. Uh, and so that's the doubters club in a nutshell. And from that, you know, once we started to see it grow, we realized hey, 40 to 60 people in one coffee shop is not conducive to a, a doubters club setting. So then we had to multiply, train atheists and Christians, and it got really messy. And that's good, though. The mess is good because that's where people who don't know Jesus live. Yeah. And, you know, if we create church only for Christians, then we're only doing part of the job. Right. We have to go and reach the lost and go where they are. And it's the approach you took with the doubters club to me, as I listen to you, it's missionary one Oh one. You, you go, and we're so good at this in the assemblies of God on foreign soil, but for whatever reason, we assume that there's a different approach here in America when it's not, it's the same approach. You go where people are, you build relationship with them. You learn how they give and receive information how they model respect, how they understand their worldview. And once a relationship is built, then there's a bridge for the gospel. We do it everywhere else. And you look at the population of people coming to know the Lord outside of the United States is because in our missionary pipeline of training, we train missionaries to do this. Yes. But in our, in our American pipeline, we train people to preach. We train people to run churches. Um, we need a doubters club pipeline in America. Really what it is, it's missionary 101. 
Yeah. And um, I'm sure you have some testimonies as a result of the Doubters Club. Do you have a few for us or one that sticks out? Yeah, I do. And, and man, I so appreciate your perspective. I know, um, I know you've been in ministry and, and we're at different parts of the U.S. right now. But I just want to say I appreciate you saying all that. Um, we, you know, kind of the way we say it is it's called the Engel Scale. It's from a book in the 70s. And um, what it says is if zero is conversion, so zero is trust in God, okay? However, people listening would define conversion. And if positive 10 is Billy Graham, all right, that's positive 10. Self-sacrificial life surrendered to the Lord. Uh, James Engel in the 70s said, who was, by the way, a missiologist, to your point, said to every positive number, there's a negative. What about the negative tens? You know, in church, we focus on how to get someone from a zero to a 10. But what Jesus says when he says go, is he's going, how do you get someone from a negative 10 to a negative five? When Paul goes, some cast seed and some water, only the God is the God of the harvest. How, how do you get that to happen? How do you get a God hater to be spiritually curious? Well, that, that's what Doubters Club does. So, yeah, we have multiple stories. One, one of my favorite stories, um, well, I'll tell you one that's recent that's pretty cool. Uh, a guy who led Doubters Club with me here, an atheist, he was a co-moderator, a good friend of mine, he ended up moving, and uh, which is such a bummer. It's like, you, you know, you grow such a strong friendship, and you're both moving towards Jesus at different uh, paces, um, but... Uh, but then he said, Hey, I'm moving to Kansas city. Well, I have friends in Kansas city. And this is what my friend told me the the atheist here told me, he said, he said, you know, what's hard is um, the doubters club here in Springfield is where I've met my best friends here. And he said, so is there a doubters club in Kansas city? And I said, no, not now. You know, we have them in different cities, but we don't have one in Kansas city yet. I said, but you can start one. And he goes, do you know someone who'd want to start it with me? And I said, yeah. So they've already started the conversations. I think, I think this weekend is when they actually launched their first soft launch of a doubters club meeting. Obviously during COVID there's some restrictions. So it's kind of a doubters club light. So probably 10 people or so, but he said, so now we have atheists asking to start doubters clubs in the cities that they're going to, because the, their best friends are believers who actually treated them like Jesus. Yeah. And so well, yeah. that's powerful to me. I think that Jesus is really, really happy <laughs> when, when uh, Christians become the best friends oh. with an atheist. And, you know, I think that's exactly where Jesus would be. I think that's exactly what Jesus would do. And, you know, I think Christians... Maybe you can talk about this for a minute, but I think Christians, the evangelism approaches that we were taught in the 90s and early 2000s, the, um, you know, hammer them with the gospel, hammer them with the truth, hammer them with their sin, and if you were to die right now and all that. And maybe there's a place for that, and as the Holy Spirit leads you, you might actually be led to, to use a confrontational approach in rare occasions. But in my understanding and my studies and, and in my experience, there really is no true evangelism separate from relationship, especially with anyone younger than 35. Right. Um, so maybe evangelism 
if we could just flip the switch in our churches and teach evangelism and just say, go to a, a school cafeteria, if, if we have schools that are open and watch children and how they make friends, yeah. that's, I mean, okay, I'll trade you my cookie for my, for that, you know, for that extra slice of spaghetti I, or, or pizza, you know, kids make friends like that. I'll trade you my PB and J for, right. for this. And that next thing you know, they're friends for 10 years. They don't overcomplicate it. I think we overcomplicate it. Evangelism can begin. Just go find someone who doesn't know Jesus and make a friend. Can you make a friend? And from there, move into conversations that are spiritual. You want to, can you weigh in on that? Do you, is that? It's so good. Yeah. And if, when you say it, it, it feels so simple. Um, I think a few things, man, I, I think honestly, we forget Jesus was a friend of sinners. He wasn't friendly to sinners. And in church, we consider it the win when we go, oh, I was friendly to my neighbor. Man, I, I was friendly to, um, and, you know, to, for the Republican, they go, oh, I was, I was very friendly to a Democrat today. It took all the patience of the world and to a Democrat who loves Jesus. They go, I was very friendly to a Republican. And you go, look, it's, that's not what the gospel says. We're the arms and feet of Jesus. We're not just friendly. Friendliness is a quick interaction, an interaction here and there, a wave, maybe conversation. Being friends, the lowest bar that we know of Scripture, of what it means for Jesus, there's three levels of friends all throughout Scripture, but the lowest bar for Jesus was to be associated with and to be counted among them. That's the low bar, right? That's what we know at the, at the, the base level is Jesus being a friend of sinners was he was called a sinner and he was counted a sinner. That's the bottom. That's the high bar for us. <laughs> you know, in Christianity, we're going, Jesus's low bar is our high bar. Like we very rarely, and, and I think the reason is we're very uncomfortable with that. We're very uncomfortable because we always have to justify to our in-group why we hang out with the out-group. And we're always having to defend our reputation to the people who look at us. Um, if we spend too much time and are friends with people on the negative side of the scale. So it's always safer and easier to, in, to involve ourselves on the positive side of the scale. But the reality is that's not what Jesus did. And there's studies that have been done. Uh, Ed Stetzer has done a lot of them. Uh, there's a book called Move that people can look at that when you get to about a five on the Ingalls scale, you know, you've, you've practiced spiritual disciplines, all stuff. You're actually spinning your wheels. If you think another conference, small group, uh, whatever is going to get you closer to a 10. You have to engage the negative side of the scale. You have, you actually, to get closer to the heart of God, you have to get closer to the prodigal. So to your question, I just think the reason, um, evangelism has been kind of like this drive by approach is let's avoid association with, and let's bring them in, come in, come in as opposed to doing what Jesus did. And, and here's reality. Jesus did not see evangelism and discipleship as separate things. And I think we see that. I, I think that's, that's how we categorize things is we go evangelize here. Then we disciple Daniel, the, the disciples weren't filled with the spirit following the resurrected Christ until after the resurrection. Right. Right. Which then would beg the question, what was Jesus doing for the first three years? Well, he was discipling them. Evangelism happened within discipleship and discipleship is predicated on relationship. So yeah, I, I do think it's been a miss. Hopefully there's a tide turning. Yeah. And I think it will with, um, with our generation, 
And yep. um, the more opportunities that people like you have to tell your story, the better, because it not only shows those who are away from God that that Christians care, because you know in your studying, I'm sure that most non-believers think that the only motivation that a Christian would have in coming into your life would be to convert you. And they, they view that as a negative. Um, but if they know your motivation is to be a friend, that's right. Um, it's a totally different perspective. And so your story needs to be told because it helps the unbeliever recognize that not all Christians are just looking to convert you, but we're actually looking to be Christ in your life um, and be an extension of that. But it also helps those of us in church world to rethink evangelism and discipleship as those two things can be one and the same. Those two things can, can happen simultaneously and it, it needs to be told. And that's why I really wanted to get this interview going because your story needs to be told. And I'm really excited uh, that, that uh, someone has uh, invited you to write a book about the doubters club and that's going to make your story go, you know, it's going to become something grandiose. I mean, doubters club has already taken on a life force of its own. If an atheist is looking to start it, I mean, that's so cool. Tell us about the book. When's it coming out and how can we get it? Well, um, I appreciate all that. Uh, The, and I'll, I'll say this for every story of someone who came back to Jesus, I feel like there's a thousand people who are going, uh, is it okay for me to voice my questions? You know, we're, um, I was writing an article about this today. Sometimes it feels like we're dancing on graves. We're digging, you know, if we're not careful. And so, um, thanks for saying that and for doing these interviews, the book, uh, nav press uh, is who I signed with. Um, and, uh, Tyndale will be distributing it and it'll be next summer. So summer 2021, which felt like a long time. And then when COVID hit, I go, well, this might actually work. You know, <laughs> this might be good timing. Uh, the book's called The Doubters Club. And the subtitle is An Unorthodox Plan for Finding Common Ground with Skeptics and Atheists. The whole thing is not an infomercial to um, plant a doubters club. I realize that's not for everyone. But the thing is, uh, the, the book is, how, how do we disciple the negative side of the scale? What if I wanted to do this as a lifestyle? Or if I wanted my kids who are not believing uh, to the parent who has unbelieving kids, what if I want them to be in closer relationship with me than I've ever been and for it to look like Jesus? So it's, it's geared towards the person who'd say, I want to live the doubters club lifestyle. Um, and then they can get it through again, through nav press. Uh, they can email me at Preston at the doubters club.com. I'll put them on a newsletter list that we send out every week. And then they will be the first uh, with the lowest rate um, possible. The first to get the book. That's so great. Um, one thing that really stands out to me about you, you started talking about it earlier, your, your five core values. And would you mind just reiterating a few of those for me again? You started with respect. Sure. Yeah. So more time? we value respect above being right. Okay. We listen without interrupting. We are a safe place. We listen with an open mind and we understand and accept differences of opinion. Those would be the five. So there needs to be someone in Washington needs to get this book <laughs> and apply it to the political process. I, I just can't believe that 
I mean, politics has always been divisive. People have always had their, their battle lines. But what would happen if this philosophy hit the House of Representatives? What would happen uh, if it would hit the relationship between the White House and the Senate and the Congress and the judicial branch? If we could just respect one another with, as humans, you know, have a civil discourse. Um, my point in saying all of that is, is there's more than one application to your five core values. Sure. And I sure. hope that in the future, as you continue to write, that you will, maybe God will show you other um, lanes that you could bring those five core values to. And you could inform not just the church world, but maybe even the political world, maybe even the educational world um, with those core values. I'm hoping God will open so many more doors for you um, because those core values are so key to the Christian walk. And God wants Christians everywhere in the yeah. business world, in the field of medicine, and all every single one of those core values can be applied everywhere. And so I commend you for following the Lord and for writing that book. Can't wait to get a copy. Oh, I'll, and, you'll give one. I'll send it to you right away. All right, sign it for me, please. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, I want to conclude with prayer and uh, just ask you to just pray a prayer blessing over those listening and okay. uh, that we would engage the lost and befriend them, not just be friendly to them, but befriend them uh, with the hopes of being Christ to them. That's right. Yeah. Well, Father, we come to you again, and uh, would you help us in this? Help us to live like your son. Jesus, help us to walk among those who don't think, look, or act like us, and to find such value in them. I pray you bring levity to the conversations. May they be fun conversations. May we say yes to our neighbors and coworkers. Um, and, and God, I just ask that we would find that a life lived like you is the most life-giving relationship with you. And so help us to do this. Help uh, the current political atmosphere, God, um, for the believers in you to stand up and to be a voice of hope, not a voice of division. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends, his name is Preston Ulmer, and he is the founder of the Doubters Club. His book's coming up next year. Sign up for his newsletter so you can get it right as soon as it comes out. One more time, what's the website? Uh, the website's thedoubtersclub.com. All right. Friends, reach out to him, and I'm sure he'll reach out back to you. And uh, I hope that you will pick up the book as soon as possible. I'm sure it'll enrich your life. God bless you.